Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? Got the hardware equipment situation fixed. I just heard you say the word testing, testing more times in the last like 15 minutes than I think I've heard you say in our entire friendship. Testing. How, testing. how many times do you think? Like 84? At least 40 times. Yeah. We're in good shape. Back on the air. We are back on the podcast grind and it feels good. Carbo loading. Carbo load. You know, I made the mistake of of uh, carb deloading before my upper body high volume workout. And so that did not go as planned late in the workout without any muscle glycogen to speak of. But post-workout, I carb loaded for the podcast. So I at least have brain glycogen for this session. That's good. Brain gains. Yeah, man. Progressive overload. Yeah, you can't you can't just run on pure ketones. You need you need some of that good CHO. That's right. That's right. Right? A little fruit, a little uh, we don't need to name all the carb sources right now. How are you? <laughs> Polysaccharides, monosaccharides. Let's just go through them all. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, man. Doing well. Um I just had a really funny interaction. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to read this to you. This is like so I'm I'm posting my daily weigh-ins for this mini cut that I'm doing. And I get really, really, some of them are great. Or like over 99.9% of the responses are great. Some of them are just weird. I just got one. And this really highlights how unaware people are of what they're doing with their nutrition. Um, as always, I'm not going to share their handle, but literally this just happened a couple hours ago. So on day eight, of, of my mini cut on June 22nd. So today is what? Today's June 30th, right? So on June 22nd, she responded to my uh, story and, and she wrote on June 22nd, I've been in a calorie deficit for three days and I haven't lost a pound. What am I doing wrong? Now, I didn't see this. This was in my message request, so I didn't reply to that. Today, now about a week later, she says, she replies to uh, my story with my weight going down. And she says, this is annoying because I've been in a calorie deficit for a few weeks now, and I've only lost a couple pounds. Men have it so much easier than women. Now, I, I'm not the best math guy in the world, but I know that based on June 22nd being in it for three days and on June 30th, it has not been several weeks. So I, I wrote back to her, I was like, You've been in a calorie deficit for about a week and a half based on the last message you sent. And a couple of pounds in a week and a half is very fast progress. You're being impatient. <laughs> and there was no reply for about like 30 minutes. And then finally she was like, you're right. You're like, I looked back at my tracker. It's been since the 19th. Oh God, it feels like time is going so slow, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, you're right. Thank you so much. Really needed that. But it really just goes to show how unaware people are of what the hell they're doing. And, and it, a lot of people think that when, for example, if, if someone says like, I'm not losing weight, even though I'm in a calorie deficit and you say, well, you're probably not in a calorie deficit. They get really mad. They're like, how dare you? Like, I'm not lying. It's like, I'm not saying you're lying. I just don't think you're aware of what's actually going on. And this was the perfect example that literally right in front of her, the last message she sent was proving what she was saying wrong. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The timing of that's amazing too, because tomorrow morning at 7.30 AM, that's exactly where we are is why you are not losing weight in the book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's and it's you know, it's hard it's hard to meet people where they are, especially in a in a format like that when it's a complete stranger, someone who follows you in a DM, you don't really have context. So, meeting them at their level of education, meeting them at their uh, you know, emotional chargedness, right? Like if someone's going to get offended or angry at you for letting them kindly know that they're probably not in a deficit. Um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting that those, uh, just important to be aware of like when people are swearing up and down, they're doing everything right. And they've been in a calorie deficit for so long. It's like, have you really though? <laughs> that, that was, that was one of the biggest things 
One of the biggest jumps I made from when I first started coaching to kind of year one, year two, year three was realizing that people are not always telling the truth. And it's not that they're intentionally lying. It's it's that they might just, there's a little bit of willful blindness. There's a little bit of naivete. There's sometimes there's a, you know, there's negative intent behind it, but usually it's just, oh yeah, I didn't realize I wasn't tracking Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I thought I was tracking every day, but I guess I did leave those days out and oh, that does kind of matter. But early on when someone would swear up and down that they were dialed in completely, like, all right, well, this must be a special outlier and I have to take their calories even further. Like this doesn't seem right, but let's test this. That um, was so nerve wracking because you're like racking your brain, like looking at Lyle's articles or be? Martin's or Alan's articles. Like who, <laughs> like what this could this possibly be? This must be like the one in a million person who happened to find me. It's like, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it, it's really nerve wracking. And then over time you're like, all right, this is just, but it, it's also clear in the research as well. Like it's very obvious, like this is, people are unaware of what and how much they're eating. So I think early on as a coach, you're like, you're so, you're so intent on proving your ability and your knowledge that you just want to make sure everyone is getting the best results possible. And and you, you forget that there's human error involved, Mm, right? It's not mm -hmm. like data and numbers are important, but how you collect the data and numbers are equally important. And a lot of times people aren't accurately collecting their own data and numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the more people you coach, the more you, you start to recognize patterns. You start to kind of bucket people into various personality types. You'll start to realize like, oh, this girl or this guy is completely dialed. And when they're sending me their log every single day, they're sending me exactly what they're eating. And then you have other other people who, you know, aren't aren't quite there. And which, you know, and and our they job as an coaches is lasagna. to help all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forgot to send the or, lasagna. <laughs> it, the, the most common isn't even forgetting. It's uh, it's like, oh, and then I just stopped tracking at X time in the day. And and that usually means, okay, you were at 800 calories and, you know, 90 grams of protein in the afternoon. And then you just stopped tracking. Like, but dinner was pretty good. <laughs> dinner Dinner wasn't pretty good. <laughs> But it's good yeah. to know that because because that information is helpful in analyzing progress. Yeah, that's right. How's everything with you, bro? Yeah, we don't dive straight into fitness topics on this. I, it's been a while since we did this, so we may be a little rusty, but things are good with me. Other than the the you know exhausting training session, actually, there's something we can we can keep on the fitness stuff right now. I I realized during my workout that. For the last week or kind of 10 days, I wasn't doing a lot. Like I, I got a few workouts in, but my sister got married, you know, as Mazel you know, tov. I was the yeah, officiant. Yeah. So it was like somewhat stressful for me and, uh, and fitness was on the back burner. And the, the eight or nine days before that I was deloading. So it's been a solid three weeks since I, it had been three weeks since I had lifted really intensely, right? Probably since I took a, it's been three weeks since I took a set to failure. So I took my numbers for this workout from three weeks ago, pre deload and was looking at them. And uh, during my warm up sets, just thinking, there's no way this is happening today. Like I'm not going to do this. And it, it was an interesting thought because I had this like, like, basically program intensity so that you don't hurt yourself thought running through my head. It's like, okay, if I back off five or 10 pounds here, still get all the sets and reps, and then week over week build off of this base um, compared to just trying to keep the linear progression going, I know that I'm going to hurt something. And, uh, and that's going to set me back even further, which is, it's just an interesting way to think about periodizing or varying intensity over time. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic because I've noticed if I take if I'm going really hard with lifting for a certain period of time and then I take a week off, I always come back stronger after that week. But if I take two or three weeks off, I always come back weaker. Like there there's something about those extra couple of weeks that like it doesn't mean you lost muscle or strength. It just means like you you aren't. It's it's a brief neuromuscular adaptation that you'll quickly get back. But if it's just a week off, I actually feel better. It was like a good deload. But any more than that, the first session or first week back is it's awful. I'm the same way. And I have found 
clients and and people in general to follow that pattern. Mm. So, yeah, that's what's been going on with me. Good. Yeah, I heard you were the the best officiant to date in the history of officiants at weddings. That's the word on the street. That might be a little bit of an overstatement, but I I appreciate the kind words, Jordan. I, well, I believe it. I take it at face value. <laughs> heard just you had people cracking up, and uh, you were leading the best service to date. Just call me Reverend Mike. I'm uh, I'm an ordained reverend at this point. It, you know, it only took about five minutes online, but got it done. There you go. Going to find you on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> you got your competition here in, in about three weeks, a little less than three weeks? Less than three weeks now. It's about two and a half weeks away. You feeling good? Yeah, I feel way less nervous for this one than I felt for the first two. Um, so feel good on that front. Um, I know my jujitsu has improved a lot. Um, I'm also at a point where worse comes to worse. I lose my first match and I'm at, cause it's single elimination and like, I'm not, it's not a big deal. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself for these, these outcome expectations, like these outcome based goals, as opposed to process focused goals. And I was so focused on I need to win to prove my worth before that I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to win, which, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I know that's why I'm not as nervous or anxious now because I'm not putting that pressure on myself. I'm just training every day as often as I can, trying to get better, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. And so even if I go in and I get like completely demolished. Like I know I've still gotten dramatically better over the last six, eight months or so. And, uh, I was having fun with it. So hopefully I go and I win, but if I don't like, I'm not going to be that upset about it. That's awesome. Let me ask you a real, real, real question. How much of that, that result focus and pressure to win is, uh, is associated with the fact that you're sharing this with hundreds of thousands of people compared to if you, you know, if you didn't have any audience whatsoever and the pressure was coming only from yourself. Oh, it's almost like probably 99% of the fear and anxiety comes from sharing this publicly. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like, Interesting. Yeah. Like I, I would have thought some of it, but I wouldn't, I don't think I would have guessed that much. Yeah. I mean, I remember in high school wrestling, like, I would get nervous right before I stepped on the mat um, because it's normal. You're about to literally fight somebody. So like you get nervous. Um, but I would say there was more on the line in high school than there is now in terms of like your reputation in high school and trying to like make sure you get the points for your team so your team can win the duel and also to impress like the girls in the crowd that you want to impress and like there's so much pressure when like you're a freshman on varsity like to really like show people that you know what you're doing versus now it's like most people don't even know what jujitsu is they hear jujitsu and they think karate and like they have no idea and they're like they'd support me either way because like they just they're they're nice people so like there's very little on the line like my job isn't jujitsu my job is nutrition and strength training and this is just people following along because it's a hobby of mine so even though there's less actual pressure now just the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of eyes on it makes it at least in my mind it creates more pressure that makes sense that makes a lot of sense there's also something too in high school and you know competitive high school sports it being the most important thing in your life. Oh yeah. Or at least for me, hockey was like more important than school, more important than grades, more important than like, like it was the thing. And, uh, and so that, uh, yeah, that makes sense that you felt more pressure then than you do now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember, I mean, I was nowhere near good enough to be like even remotely like ne never mind like Olympic, but like even a super high level college wrestler, like I was nowhere near that. But when you're in high school and that's like all you do, you're like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to outwork everybody. And I, I remember being like, yeah, I'm going to be an Olympic wrestler. And it's just, it's, it's fun. Like it created so much passion for me and I loved it. But like, it's funny looking back. I was like, no, <laughs> dude, I, you and I have never talked about this for as long as we've known each other. 
when I was in my summer going into my sophomore year, I thought I had a shot at the NHL. And I was like pretty <laughs> sure I was going to get a full ride to go division one. <laughs> what, what, do you remember the moment when you're like, uh, maybe not? My buddy Jordan Wild, who is the reason I call you George sometimes or Jamal, uh, is just the most blunt, like, <laughs> like straightforward, extremely J. And uh, we were training partners one off season, and he was like, he's like, you're, he's like, it's basically the best player on each team, kind of maybe is gonna go to like Boston College or University, of any of these like really good Division one hockey schools. He's like. You're not going to BC. Like, let's let's go. Let's focus on the state tournament. Like, <laughs> don't be an idiot. You're being delusional. And and you know, did you get pissed? No, I didn't because I respected him a lot. And mm. you know, I knew he wouldn't say that like just to make me feel bad. I knew that that he's uh yeah smart and and was just trying to like give me a dose of reality because you don't. You know, on the one hand, you don't want to kill someone's dream, but on the other hand, you don't want them like floating off into delusional land if they're, <laughs> yeah, so. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's funny, man. All right. We got some good questions. Actually, we have one really good question. You want to dive into it? Sure. I don't know what it is, but you got to read it. We have one really good question and then we have... uh a bunch of like random fun things that we've never done on this podcast that I just have in my notes to potentially drop on you as a surprise. All right. I love it. All right. What are the top three things? This is a question that separate a person who succeeds in online personal training or building an online business versus someone who doesn't. Mm. Okay. How about, do you want to do it? Like I'll pick one and you pick one. Yeah. And we'll go back and forth for each of our three. Sure. Or for as long as we want. All right, cool. So I would say the first and the most important one is your skill and knowledge level as a coach. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like you <laughs> this is the foundation of everything, right? Like if you aren't if you haven't taken years to study and practice and learn the science of what you're doing, like you can't expect if, if a significant percentage of your knowledge comes from Instagram, no, mm. Mm. just no, like, it's like, that's not where you study and learn. Like you, there are things you can learn from there, but that's not where the majority of your studying and learning should come from. Uh, books, as crazy as that is to hear books, <laughs> like long form website articles, uh, reading the research, digging into like the, the science and the research behind this, and then actually practicing it in person. So I guess that's two is like really like studying and learning and then also practicing in person. I, I, I would sort of lump into one. Yep. We can group those together into knowledge and skill as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So how good you are as a coach is number one. hundred percent agree. Um, I would almost, I would put next to that, maybe below it, but somewhat related to that because to help someone to succeed in this business, you need to help people and to help people with fitness, it requires that skill and knowledge, but it simultaneously requires a desire to help those people. And it's, it's almost cliche at this point, but someone with the highest level of skill and knowledge who has very little passion or compassion or patience or desire to help someone over a two, three-year window compared to someone with slightly less knowledge, we'll call it like 10 out of 10 versus 9 out of 10, A plus versus A minus, but that person has has better people skills, has uh, you know more patience, more compassion, a genuine desire to help someone, an interest in helping people. Um, that is going to lead to better progress from your clients. It's going to lead to you having more clients, more referrals over time. It's going to lead to uh, you having a better reputation. It's it's going to lead to you being more likely to succeed over time. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So next one, this is, I was sort of thinking about it while you were talking. Um, there are many places we could go with this, but I would say it's funny, the more I think about it, the more it just directly relates to what 
one of the top three things someone would need to succeed in anything like fitness and stuff. But I would say the next one has, has to be discipline, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. discipline being the foundation of it. But in terms of, um, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You could be super good at it. You could be like, you could do, you could be the best of the best, but if you don't have discipline in taking the time to teach people and taking the time to, uh, to post and to like, cause really if we're talking about building an online business, you could be the best coach in the world, but if you don't have an audience, then it doesn't matter, right? There, mm-hmm, there you don't have mm-hmm. people who follow you and it doesn't mean you need hundreds of thousands of people. Like you could have 500 people who follow you and you have could have a very successful online coaching business. Um, but if you're not disciplined enough to learn the skill of creating an online business and an online presence, then it doesn't matter. And, and this is what a lot of people overlook. Like strength training is a skill. Nutrition is a skill. Coaching is a skill. Creating a business is a skill. And it's actually a massive skill that has many sub skills underneath it. I remember when I first started writing long form articles in 2011, after doing it for like six months, I remember I made a Facebook post saying like, Something to the effect of if someone told me that in order to build a great online personal training business, I would also have to be a phenomenal writer, I would have said, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. But that very quickly was a slap in my face being like, you really have to learn how to be a great writer and you have to learn how to speak well and you have to have the discipline enough to go through the periods of time where you suck and you're nervous on camera and you're nervous to hit the publish button. And like, you just have to have the discipline to do that over and over and over and over and over again and be okay with getting bad feedback and negative feedback and and arguments and debates with people and not having anybody read your stuff like you have to have the discipline to keep doing it that's not cool though jordan anymore that <laughs> might have been cool in 2013 2014 but hard work it seems like in internet land is is uh i don't know trying too hard or uh not enjoying life like it seems like there's, and I could be completely off on this, but it seems like there's a uh, an apathy towards hard work or a, a not wanting to adopt that opinion that working really hard, having discipline, putting in a lot of hours is uh, an essential, if not one of the most essential components of success in any business. Correct. I think a lot of that stems from I think a lot of people have created this idea that if you work really hard at something and are super disciplined with something, well, then it must mean you not, you, it must mean that you are not happy with yourself and you must not love yourself, Mm. right? If you're working really hard at something, then there's no way that you could actually be okay with yourself. And it's like, where did you come up with that idea? It's like, why don't you just, why do you have to work so hard? Why don't you just enjoy life? (laughs) It's right. It's like, why can't you do both? Why can't you work hard and enjoy that? Why is it they're creating a false why dichotomy? Can't you enjoy, why can't you enjoy what you're working on? Yeah, it yeah. is a false dichotomy. That's exactly right. Yeah. I like I like that you went with discipline. Mine, my thought was a little more granular, which was uh, post-consistency, meaning like wherever you're doing it, whether it's website or Instagram or TikTok or podcast, but be consistent with it. And be consistent for a very long time, which which is which falls under the discipline umbrella um, as a component of of building business. You good? Yeah, I'm looking at my list. Oh, got it. My questions list. <laughs> um, you're like, what's he squinting at? Your eyes okay? Jordan and I are on video right now. By the way, he's he's at home in Texas. I'm in Minnesota for a couple weeks. Uh, like I said, for my sister's wedding. Soon you golf. will be here in Texas with me though. I will. I will. It's going to be good. It's going to be a very productive trip. Oh yeah. Business trips. They're the best. Some good lifts, some serotonin inducing UV from the, the sun. Uh, Bro, I've been, I've been walking a lot for this cut, like way more than usual. Uh-huh. And I start every day I get up. Well, we write the book every day first, spend a couple hours doing that. And I go out and I walk just in the sun for like an hour. It's been great. Have you noticed any, so I'm, when you say it's been great, I'm assuming you mean uh, mood and how you feel? Yeah, mood, how I feel. Like I sweat, right? Like mm-hmm. get sweaty just from walking. Sometimes I'll throw some sprints or a little running in there, but just get out there, get some sun, fresh air, sweat. I, I Sometimes I'll use the treadmill, but- I hate the treadmill. I really do. Like I hate standing on a treadmill 
walking nowhere. I would rather walk outside, even like there's a turf field outside my gym. I don't know, it's maybe a hundred yards and I'll just walk back and forth. I'd rather literally walk back and forth that, because at least that way I can be in the sun and the fresh air and, and I'm going somewhere as opposed to standing on the damn treadmill where I'm just standing in one spot the whole time. Like I hate the treadmill. So it's been great to get out and, and be outside for an hour a day. It's just amazing. Have you noticed any improvements in sleep quality since you started doing that? Honestly, no. And just to be blunt, like I'm not saying it hasn't, but I haven't been aware of it. Cool. There's, uh, there's actually pretty good research indicating that uh, getting exposure to sunlight first thing in the morning and not through your window, but being outside and getting sun in your eye for, I think it's 20 minutes or at least 20 minutes, um, ends up stimulating more melat- natural melatonin production later in the day, um, which improves sleep quality. Someone is going to listen to this podcast and they're going to write on a form and be like, they told us to stare directly into the sun for 20 <laughs> minutes every day. You know what? I actually, <laughs> so we'll clarify that, but I don't think people listening to this podcast will do that. We have, we have like, a great, great group of people. Yeah unbelievable audience relative to every other, you know, audience on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yes, you know, don't stare straight at the sun. <laughs> uh, however, there's, I'm almost certain <laughs> that hand, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that, but, but uh, I remember someone asking or me reading, uh, can you do it with sunglasses on? Will you get the same effect? And the answer was no, you don't. Mm. So it's be outside with the sun out in the morning, but yeah, don't just stare straight at the sun for 20 minutes. Yeah. Or at least we're not telling you to do that. (laughs) We're not doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So for the third one, uh, what the the next thing to create a successful online coaching business. Mm -hmm. All right. So Mm -hmm. we've got knowledge, skill as a coach, discipline. And then for the last one, we also have genuinely care about people since Jordan's just skipping over my well, I, thoughts and yeah. just saying his own. Yeah. Uh, you got to go first too, which gave you a little leg up. We should be snaking this. You should have had one and then I have two and three. Okay. So you go you next. Have four so you, and five. you choose the next one. Well, it's a little late for the snake no, draft, I, but. <laughs> <laughs> you go next. I mean, just, just, just a re- I mean, this isn't an order, but a real bare bones fact about someone who starts an online personal training business and succeeds versus someone who starts and then completely falls off and then, you know, becomes like a, like a crypto investor, like six months later, or, or maybe like a how to get your own Lamborghini, get rich quick scheme. Or, uh, or what's really happened is the people who they start off as an online personal trainer six months later, it didn't work. So then they become a coach telling people how to create their own online coaching business. That's, that's another level. That's another <laughs> I level see that of all spam. The time. <laughs> that's insane. But what were you going to say? Uh, the people who succeed made a website. They weren't just trying to do this new age, like who needs a website? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. They, they create a website and they start putting long form articles on their website that help people with things in the fitness world that they need help with Yeah, versus not taking the time. I don't know if it's a, you know, I don't know if it's that the website in that short amount of time actually helped their business that much. Although I'm sure it did to an extent for reasons that we've hit in many podcasts, or if it's partly because uh, the people who take the time and effort and, and, you know, some financial investment to get a website up are just more likely to succeed. But that is another one that I see. Mm. You know, it's really interesting. I remember we have, we have such an interesting perspective on this because of the mentorship. And we have a sample of people who literally started with nothing like there are people who started no no followers on social media, no online coaching clients, like very little knowledge, if any, on coaching. And they started and now they actually have successful online coaching businesses. And I think it gives us a unique insight into what it takes. And I'll never forget, I, I, I don't remember if it was after the first year or the second year of the mentorship, but I remember you and I having a conversation and maybe it was even during a live Q&A during the mentorship where you said you were initially hesitant 
to start doing it because you weren't sure if it was replicable. Like yep. you weren't sure if like anybody could do it. I thought maybe Mike and Jordan were anomalies. Yeah. Which is like, I I love like it. It, it could it could have been right. We um, we actually delayed for probably eighteen plus months launching because I, in my mind I was like, I know that anyone can get in shape. I don't know that anyone can build a business. Yeah, and and I, I think it was after the second year of the mentorship, and when we had enough of a of a sample size, you were like, "This is crazy." Like, yeah. if you do the work, it works. Um, There's a formula, yeah, and if you follow, yes. It, that's what you said. There's a formula. And um, so with that in mind, I'm just thinking about the most common things that I see the most successful people in the mentorship do, right? And and that includes you and I, but like the people in there who over the last three years or so have gone from literally nothing to just crushing it. Uh, I would say number one, filled client rosters. They've become very super knowledgeable. They, they've spent a lot of time studying and learning and interning and, and coaching people in person and online and and researching and learning and reading books and whatnot. They've been outrageously disciplined, just like Eric Roberts, Beth Farico, Kim Schlag, Susan Nieberg, like these just un insanely too disciplined. Too many shout outs Yeah, to give. too many. Yeah. Rachel, uh, just like insane numbers of people just outrageously disciplined with it. Um, mm -hmm. And the other one that I'll Rick say, Fitt, oh my Cure. God, yeah, 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 geez. Um, and it's just crazy, 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 crazy. And um, you brought up the website. I'm going to bring up, and I know we've spoken about this before and people listen to the podcast from like, you say this all the time. Well, yeah, you probably say calorie deficit all the time too. It's like, it's important to hear it. It's uh, coaching people for free at the beginning. Like I see all of the people who are now huge and crushing it beyond what they ever thought possible started with coaching for free. And it doesn't mean you coach everyone forever for free that you're not allowed to make money, but it means if you're not sure where to start or how to get clients, start doing it for free. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's, that's such an integral part of the formula that, and it's, it's one of the parts of the formula that a lot of people try and skip over or they leave out or they don't do it. And if you miss that, like, yeah, there might be some people like, occasionally who can skip that part of the formula for, for a, a number of reasons, like whatever it is, but the vast majority of people, like 99.9999% of people start with coaching people for free. Maybe it's only for three months, right? Maybe it's for three months. You coach people for free. Maybe it's for six months, whatever it is. But if you start there, it just gives you so much opportunity to grow. And I was actually just talking about this on a podcast before you and I got on because what people don't realize about a successful online coaching business is most businesses run on the idea that your customers are going to keep returning for years and years and years, hopefully, right? And in a successful online coaching business, you'll have a handful of them who do, a small percentage who do that after years and years and years, they like your programming and it's just easy and they like it. But most people will not stay with you forever. And that's what you want as a coach. You want them to get to a point where they no longer need you. But what happens when that person... Someone says, how'd you get so fit? Where'd you learn all this stuff? Like, how did you grow your muscles? How did you get so strong? They recommend you and they, it, they become a walking referral for you all over the world to their friends, to their family, to their colleagues, to everybody. And that's how I see these online businesses growing is through referrals, like more, more than having a huge social media audience, more than like being ripped or shredded. Like it's having an, a tremendous number of people giving you referrals. And that starts with coaching people for free. You coach one person for free, that person becomes a walking referral for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Could not agree more. Referrals, yeah. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of like, yes, building a large audience can help you build a big coaching business, but there are downsides that most people don't talk about. And maybe we'll save that for another podcast about having a large audience. Oh um, yeah. Brutal. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for now. What was I just going to say? I had two thoughts. Oh, one, you talking about each of those people in the mentorship and then talking about those attributes and the way you went in on outrageously disciplined and consistent. Hmm. Today's, today's Wednesday, June 30th. We're recording this on June 30th. 
uh, you know, it depends on where you are in the world, where your level of restriction is and compared to how it's been for the last year and a half. But like in a lot of places in the West, in the U.S. at least, places are opening up. People are out and doing things and people are ready to be having fun and doing things. They've been cooped up inside. They've been locked inside and they're ready to go have some fun. Not to mention summer is a time when people unwind in general and work less in general, July, August especially. Um, however, if you are in a place where you're just starting your business, if you're in a place where you are maybe in, if you're younger or if you're just in a place where you need to get up and running, if you need to start accumulating income and savings, if you're in a place where you're hungry for it and you just want it right now, now's a great time to think of others who are kind of relaxing and enjoying as your competition and go hard. Make this an incredible two months. Write a 2000 word article a week for the next eight weeks. Post every single day on Instagram or three times a day on TikTok. Like use this time to get ahead. Uh, because I mean, psychologically, I just think it's a great place to be in. It's like this underdog mindset. Well, you know, think of like mighty ducks. If like the, what was that? The, the Hawks, like the oh, yeah. Indiana kids, they're they're all you know, out golfing, doing the whatever. But you're you're doing dry land. You're doing like you know you're working hard. You're doing sprints. You're lifting. You're getting. You're doing five a.m. skates. You're doing everything you can, and that's that's content. That's helping people. That's coaching people for free. It's replying to every single DM. That's going into Facebook groups. That's going into other people's content and commenting, helping people for free, and really racking up equity. We'll call it racking up reputation, goodwill during this time when other people are sleeping. Man, bro, you're hyping me up. Reminds me of of the content you used to put. I think it was on Snapchat, uh, where like you'd be in a coffee shop or something, and you'd like show you'd be like <laughs> you'd take a snap of the entire coffee shop, and no one was working in there, and it was just empty. And like you'd post like the competition, like nobody's here. There's no competition. <laughs> you're just creating this competition in your mind. Like, all right, I'm gonna outwork all of you. I I loved that. That was so funny. Which is unbelievably useful and helpful in the micro. As a long-term life strategy, maybe it's not the best <laughs> like average mindset to carry around for 60 years, but in in that place, and I'm just if it speaks to you, if if you know, if you've been cooped up for a year and a half and you want to go enjoy yourself, go enjoy yourself. I'm not telling you what to do, but if it speaks to you, do it. But pe- people are like, I would always get a lot of pushback on that. I remember oh maybe Maybe these are all, you maybe know, they're maybe just that enjoying person, themselves. <laughs> it was worse than that. It was like, maybe that's a firefighter who just worked in over. Maybe that's a nurse who just like saved a bunch of, maybe that's a single mom. It's all, so I'm like, no, it's like kids like me, except they're playing video games on their phone and ripping espressos <laughs> rather than working. <laughs> um, no, it's not. <laughs> I asked them. <laughs> I talked about it. They're my best friend. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had another, uh, oh, I have another top three attribute, which is not quitting. Mm, I know that sounds ridiculous. Like what's the difference between someone who succeeds and someone who quits? Not quitting? Well, obviously, because the people who quit don't qualify for that. But what I mean is I launched my website in April of 2013. I started writing the articles for my website in October of 2012, which, you know, if I could do it again, I would have closed that gap up a lot, but I wanted five articles up. And, uh, and in, then even before that, it was many months um, after I quit my accounting job. So from the time I quit my accounting job until the time I actually got my website up was nine months. And from the time I got my website up until the time I had my first paying client was another nine months. Mm-hmm. So from the time I quit my job to do this to the time I actually had someone who paid me like $119 a month for coaching, it was a year and a half. A year and a half of being consistent, like working super hard and not like posting once and then not posting for another three months. Like it was hard work. We'll, 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 we'll say it was 10 to 12 months of hard work. The first three months, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. But, but you were making your website and stuff like... Yeah, I was. I was. But I, I would call some of that... Uh, you know, planning as a form of procrastination. But, um, you know, you've talked about it before in the mentorship a lot and on here just that it took a long time from when you started until you had a paying client. And, 
you know, there's a practical side of things, which is savings or a, a side job or a part-time job to stay afloat financially. Um, but there's also just a mental uh, matching expectations with reality side of things where you need to, it's, it's going to take longer than you want it to. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not moving in the right direction. It doesn't mean you're not going to succeed. Just don't quit. Yeah, that's it. I love that. I think that's a arguably the most important one, right? And, and that's another cool thing about the sample size and the mentorship is there have been some people who like were super quick, you know, like yeah, off the top of my head, like Rachel, like super quick, like dominated super fast. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas like, you know, who didn't quit, who's just, who's blown me away with his, with his effort. And now he's like really crushing it is Adam. Mm -hmm. Adam, like mm -hmm. he just, he didn't quit and he would post, he'd be like, I'm not getting the engagement I want. I'm not getting the, the results that I want. I'm not getting clients. And then one piece of content changed his life. And then he started to replicate it and replicate it. And it's like really started to grow. It's been a, an amazing to watch. And in the same way, some people lose weight faster than others. Some people gain muscle faster than others. Some people will build a business faster than others. But as long as you don't quit and you follow the formula, it will work. It will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other amazing thing is Adam was very, uh, like wars hard on his sleeve with frustrations or, you know, desire to, to see more progress than he was. And he kept going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a great example. All right, I have something unrelated to fitness. I see that which smirk is just coming up. That's just like, <laughs> you've got something good coming. No, just a little, just a little ripping off, uh, ripping off other people's content concepts, <laughs> but I think they're fun. So I'm going to say a word, Jordan, and you say overrated or underrated. Oh, all right, cool, cool. All right, ready? Yeah, ready. Wait, are you stretching? Gonna... Stretching? Maybe I'll contribute when I feel like it. Stretching underrated why um partly because i've been doing more of it so i'm biased um but and you feel good dude my back hasn't felt this good since i was like a toddler wow right? like i just my back feels amazing my back hasn't felt this good since before i started competitively powerlifting um which says a lot right um back feels great hips are loose i'm just like and it, that wasn't in my mind as a goal or a reason why I should do it more. Uh, it was just something that I very quickly noticed that I was like, wow, like there's no pain or any issue when I go to tie my shoe or put my socks on or anything. Like I could feel the looseness and like the fluidity as opposed to before. It was always like, okay, like I know like I'm going to have to, I'm going to feel something when I do this. What Are you only doing split style stretches or are you stretching other parts of your body as well? I'm I'm mostly doing lower body stretches. So there there's a lot. It's not all just like splits, but they're they're almost all exercises that will help me get a split. But I mean hamstring stretches, calf stretches, uh, different types of hip stretches. I'd say uh, there are like some intense isometric style stretching that I'm doing specifically for the split. But I'd say the vast majority is just overall lower body stretching that will eventually help me get to the split. Interesting. Good. I need some of that. <laughs> the best is when you were like, hey, here's how my split right now. <laughs> I literally, I tested it because I was curious. And, uh, and then I had to show you just to let you know. Overrated, underrated. Jake Paul. Oh God. Uh, if you had asked me this like before the Ben Askren fight or even immediately after the Ben Askren fight, I would have said overrated. Now that I've listened to him more and spent more time like paying attention to what he's saying and not what like the media is saying and also seeing the impact. I literally just before we hopped on this podcast, I saw uh, something from him where uh, a female UFC fighter, I forget her name, it started to go fund me. She's a, a UFC fighter. Like she's in the UFC. She started to go fund me to help cover the costs of fighting, which like people don't understand, like going through a fight camp costs a fortune. Like people hear how much money these fighters make in a fight. Number one, they're only hearing like the George St. Pierre's, Israel Adesanya's, like the, the top of the top of the top. 
most people don't get paid nearly as much as these fighters, not to mention they have no idea how much money it costs to go into a fight camp, how much it costs to pay all the different coaches, your striking coach, your grappling coach, your conditioning coach, uh, your nutrition coach, fly them all out with you out to the fight, your cornermen, all this stuff. Like it's, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the fight camp. And then like, you, anyway, she had to start a GoFundMe and Jake was like, I'm going to help her out. He was like, he's literally helping fund this woman's fight camp. And he does these things that really make me think there's more to him than the persona that's been put out online. And and he said something also. He's like, can you imagine uh, someone in the NBA, like a rookie in the NBA, having to start a GoFundMe to cover the cost of like playing in the NBA? It's like, no, of course not. Like That would never happen. But in the fight game, especially in mixed martial arts, it really does happen. Uh, and so he's really pushing for the decentralization of of uh, the fight game so that fighters really have the power and they're the ones who are risking their lives and putting in all the work. And I really think his efforts are, I'm like, I really think he, he has good intent behind it. I don't like a lot of the stuff he says. I disagree and and am frankly nauseated by a lot of the stuff he has said and done, but I think he's underrated. I love it. <laughs> Long form content underrated now more than ever now more than ever you know it's like i think when we first started doing content there could have been an argument for short form content being underrated just because no one was doing it at the time and like it would have been great to create these 60 second clips or whatever it is but now long form content like what do you think 100 percent agree yeah yeah what do you think about jake paul Overrated, uh, underrated. As as a fighter, I think he's very underrated. Okay, okay. Oh god, I didn't even think about it as a fighter. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and I I think similar to you, although I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I try not to be cynical in general. But I think some of that is just like <laughs> helping her. There's a component of it that is just. He's in a feud with Dana White, the yeah. the president owner of the UFC, and uh, and so saying that UFC fighters are underpaid and then doing everything to like take the other take the fighter side of that is like a a fun little like slap in the thing face between that. the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think that I think that decentralization of fighting, meaning um, basically just shifting more of the revenue from the organization and to the people who are actually basically giving a bigger piece of the pie to the fighters. And then the organization gets a smaller piece of the pie, uh, is an inevitable and will be an interesting shift. Um, you know, with, with the technology we have and now with like, you know, better than I do, but in the UFC, two fights a year is a lot, right? Uh, for a high level fighter for a very, yeah, it's a lot for a very high level fighter who's already worked their way up and established their name. A lot of the lower level fighters who are new to the organization, they'll fight four five, six times sometimes, okay. uh, just so that they can get more fights under their belt. And, and it's not healthy and it's not good. Like they really put themselves through hell, but a lot of times in order to make a name for yourself, you've got to, you've got to step in there a bunch. Okay. So that's not as valid a point, but I, I was going to say that then when the fighters are in control of their schedule more than an organization, then they can also increase frequency to the extent they want or, or that their bodies can physically handle that load. The thing that a lot of people don't realize about a fight is that it's not the fight. It, it, like they, you, you watch the performance, but you don't see like there's no off season for fighting. In every other sport, there's an off season. There's a time period where you can go home, hang out with your family. And I'm not saying it's easy because any professional sport is super difficult and like training camps and all this stuff, like traveling all over the world or the country, whatever it is. But in fighting, there is no off season. They can call you four weeks out, three weeks out, two weeks out. Someone had to drop out of the fight. Someone got injured. You need to fight right now. You have to be ready to go all year round there. And it's not just working out and and like practicing the sport it's you're fighting every day in the morning you go to jujitsu in the early afternoon you go to striking in the night you go to strength and conditioning and then the next day like you start off with muay thai and then you go to and like it's like it's crazy it's insane um so yeah it's to for someone to do six fights 
or five fights or four fights a year, it might not sound like a lot, but every fight camp is ideally at least 12 to 16 weeks. And like that takes up the entire year. If you have four fights a year, it's insane. Overrated, underrated, only fans. <laughs> um, I think that, oh God, you're really putting me on the spot. I get so much shit every time I like make fun of OnlyFans. Like anytime I make you fun make of fun it. You make fun of OnlyFans publicly? Yeah, I've made fun of it. Like I, I remember I, I did something in my shower when I first moved into this apartment and like I, I blurred out I my penis and everything and I was like full video on my OnlyFans. And then like the overall response was, haha, that's so funny. But there were a couple people who were like, how dare you make fun of that? That's how like people are making their living now. I'm like, calm down. You idiot like i make fun of everything and all of a sudden that you choose to be offended by um i think like from from an entrepreneurial perspective if you like it could be great for some people and it's really helping some people pay their bills Um, do you think it's do you think so it's i mean some people are making great money with it like purely from a financial perspective sure yeah from a financial perspective and and i mean it's funny there's actually uh someone in my building who her whole her whole business is only fans and her and her husband like do it together. Um, and I was talking to, he, he like manages it and I was talking to him about it and he was telling me everything that they do. Um, and it's a lot of work, like it's a lot of work, but you know, what's funny. Here's something I didn't realize they're working. Like now a lot of the creators on only fans are upset with only fans and they want to get like, they're, they're like, they don't like only fans now. Like only fans is essentially like the, uh, the, the promoter for fighting like UFC is the promoter only fans is taking a huge percentage of the money and they control a lot. Do you know what the percentage is? I don't, I don't know what the percentage is, but he was actually asking me for advice being like, do you think we should start our own website and da, 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 da. And like, I was like, listen, if you have a big audience and all of this, like you might as well transfer it over to your own. So you don't have to pay the fees, but like there are other benefits of being on OnlyFans. There's a whole, like, I didn't think that we'd talk about OnlyFans on this podcast, but either way, <laughs> um, I think for the creator, like it can be great for some people uh, if it can help you build a business. I, I think what it really boils down to is, is that something you're comfortable doing and something that you want to have out there? Um, who am I to say that like, you shouldn't do that? You know, I mean, I definitely wouldn't, I wouldn't, but like, that's just me. I mean, you do what you want to do. <laughs> I I like that over the last many, many months and maybe over the last two years, gradually you and I have both intentionally started talking about things that could be uh, more polarizing or could um, you know, things that we don't need to talk about, but that we think might be important, even if it's going to make people dislike us or, uh, you know, aggressively disagree with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem saying that I think any dude who pays money <laughs> to see a girl get naked is pathetic. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if you are paying a monthly subscription to see a girl maybe get naked, Mm-hmm. Whether it's because you think then she'll notice you out of the thousands of subscribers she has and then fall in love with you and then maybe you get to be with her. If, uh, I don't know, you just think that she's so much better than any of the girls on the free websites and so <laughs> you want to pay to see her, whatever. Like it's the the entire, and and I'm I'm slightly undereducated here because I don't know if there are a ton of like, like female subscribers for male only fans and and I'm a man so I can only speak from the perspective of a male subscribing to a girl on these websites but yeah I'll stick with my original statement any dude who's paying money to see a girl get naked on there mm. needs to cancel his subscription immediately <laughs> get in the gym so clean up his nutrition a little bit do a little cardio, get some sun, and uh, and find a real girl in person, like at a coffee shop or even on Bumble, wherever. But not paying to see her naked to maybe get noticed as your strategy. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've spoken to some women who do this, and it's uh, you know, I, listen, I don't I don't know. Again, do whatever you want to do, but I know that one of the reasons. Do you believe do whatever you want to do? Would you say do whatever you want to do for prostitution? 
Um, you know, I mean, I think you and I have spoken about this before. Man, this is really going off off topic. But and um, I, I actually have a tea time, so we're gonna have to wrap this relatively soon. I mean, if if porn is legal. I don't see why prostitution shouldn't be legal. You know what I mean? Right? Like in terms of people are being paid to have sex with someone and they're both willing and consensual in pornography. So if we're okay saying porn is legal, then I can see why prostitution should be legal. Got I don't. It. All right. So, so, so you're pro freedom. So you don't think it should be illegal. Do you think that it's right? It's oof. Now that's the question, right? I, I, you're right. I think I'm very pro freedom to make your own decisions. I'm very yeah. pro And that. you know what? I, I agree with that. I, I think that I tend to skew libertarian, although I don't even know if that actually, I don't know. I don't know anything about politics is what I've come to know recently, but <laughs> in my gut, in my gut, it feels like fewer laws. If you had to default to having more laws or fewer laws, I'd default to having fewer laws. Correct. I, I would. I would as well. When it comes to restricting individuals' liberties, yes, agreed completely. Agreed completely. As far as what's right, um, so you, I remember when you and I and Pat were all like doing that, like the reading the Bible at the beginning mm -hmm. of of the pandemic, um, which for me was really interesting because I had never read the Bible. Like I was brought up with the Torah. Um, and it was very interesting for me. And one line stood out to me and I, I'm going to butcher it. I don't know exactly what it was, but basically it was saying like, um, you can't judge other people for their actions if you're doing things that are also bad, mm. right? It's like, and I forget what the exact line was, but that was the message that we took from it. Basically being like, everyone yeah, is he, so quick to I judge mean, other people. I mean, Christ said, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. Yeah, 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 right? So basically saying like, yeah, by all means, like judge other people, but you better not be doing anything bad either on your own. And uh, that hit home with me. Like that line really hit home with me. And, and I and I think um, it's easy for me to be like, no, I don't think that's right. But like, you do, I do you things, do things that, that others right. may, yeah. Yep, yep. You know, so what makes me like, you know, the you know person what? that... You know why I think I come at it from a somewhat aggressive perspective is because I was pathetic with girls in like sixth and seventh grade. Mm, like, mm. you know, like the term simp? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I I had this Disney world view of like, not even Disney, like Prince I, I don't know what my thought process... Nah, but even worse than that, like it was... You know, it was like, it was basically just the the quintessential blue pill. Like, if I can just be as, like, nice as possible, maybe she'll like me, mm, you know? Mm. And and to use, like, a fictitious example, but, like, I I don't even know. Like, if I agree with for everything her they snack, do. Yeah. Yeah, but, but even more, like, because it's grade school, like, even more intense version of that. And then through life and through experience, it's like, okay, paying some girl for her subscription is not going to lead to you ending up with her. Go improve yourself. And and it's more of like a tough love position to guys, to a certain subset of guys who yeah. are like, you know, sitting at home, not really doing a whole lot and subscribe to seven different OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah. Save, no, I, save your money. Yeah, I, I think it's also important. Like it's, it's, a, it's a different discussion between like, Right consuming on, and creating on, yes exactly like for yeah. the consumer versus the creator like yeah. do i think it's it's a the right move for someone to be subscribed to 17 different only fans and like spending all their free time doing that no i i don't um i think you'd be better off working on improving yourself and you know getting stronger and getting healthier and getting more fit and and doing things on your own than than spending your free time doing that but then again you know I spend a lot of free time watching The Office, so <laughs> like it's like I spend I spend a lot of time not improving myself either. That that's where I struggle. I struggle with telling people what they're doing isn't right when I know I'm not doing everything right. That's where my issue is. Like it's hard for me to come at it so hard when I know I have so much room to improve myself. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap it here. Maybe we'll do OnlyFans Part Two next time. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening uh this is definitely 
uh, a surprise for me. Did not know the conversation was going to go this way. Hopefully you enjoyed it and uh, we'll leave it here. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. See you soon. Goodbye.